0: Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Spies. welcome to One Her Game. Alex Blackwell is a powerful figure in Australian cricket, an Ashes and World Cup winning captain, 251 games for Australia, which was until recently the most matches played by an Australian female cricketer, and the inaugural and winning captain for the Sydney Thunder's WBBL side. But Alex Blackwell's biggest achievements in cricket didn't happen in the game, but in the way, she changed the game. You see, Alex noticed from an early age that being gay in the Australian cricket team was seen as a negative thing, as part of an image problem. She was asked about it at cricket functions, and then later in her career, administrators would even ask her to help solve this so-called problem, as they feared mothers wouldn't want their daughters playing the game. But in the then-male-dominated, homophobic world of sport that she'd entered... Alex grew taller, grew stronger. She challenged, called out and advocated. She helped open people's minds within the sport and outside. She challenged the notion of an ideal female cricketer and doing so saw structures, systems and attitudes change to become safer, inclusive and fairer. The game is a much better place for female and gay cricketers because of Alex Blackwell. It took guts, courage and a strong sense of self, but in return she's earned the respect and gratitude of many. Not to mention she did all that while still playing at the highest level and studying her medicine degree and then later becoming a genetic counsellor. Retired from the game now, Alex still gives back. She's a board member, commentator and was given an honorary life membership of the MCC. Her career and those challenges she faced as she worked to change the game are all detailed in an incredible new book that's just been released called Fair Game. This international cricketer's journey began in a small country town in the New South Wales Riverina.
1: A little Alex Blackwell was running around the farm with my twin sister Kate. Um, we grew up on a vineyard in Yendo, which is a tiny town near Griffith. And uh, my two older sisters, uh, they were pretty active too, but they went off to boarding school. And uh, Kate and I had a lot of time together on the farm, um, riding bikes or building uh, rafts to float down irrigation channels. (laughs) Uh, We helped on the farm as well. So I think that was a really big influence, actually, looking back, the way that my dad sort of encouraged us to to help out, do a bit of pruning of the grapevines or helping with the watering and um, learning to drive at a very young age. It was on the sort of gravel <laughs> roads of the farm so I'm sure it wasn't illegal but um, you know it was it was really good fun.
0: Now um, you are of course a twin, um, Kate's your twin. Did you have any of the twin telepathy going on when you were little? Tell me a little bit about um, that. Yeah that, that's a really common
1: question I guess for twins and I would say we haven't had too many weird things happen. We Mm. just know each other so well. So I guess the whole sort of we could complete each other's sentences if needed. Um, There was one occasion that was a bit weird and that was as adults, actually. So I was over in England playing cricket and Kate was back here in Australia. And I was at a cricket county sort of cricket ground and playing a club cricket match and Um, an old fella at the clubhouse collapsed. And this was during a tea break. And I was a medical student at the time and didn't hesitate to sort of go over and and assist. And um, another player who was a police officer did the same. And we realised we needed to um, initiate CPR on this guy. And um, we were successful. We kept him going until the ambulance came and um, they defibrillated him and um, he, he was fine in the end. And, you know, that was a huge shock to go through mm. something like that. Mm. And I just felt the need to talk to Kate just to, you know, debrief what had just happened. But I realised it was sort of two in the morning, three in the morning or something back home for Kate. I called her and she answered. And while that doesn't sound too unusual, Kate normally turns her phone off. And for some reason that night she didn't. And there was some sort of feeling she had that she might be needed. And as it turned, it turned out, she was needed. And um, she answered the phone, and we were able to sort of talk it through. And we look back on that, and it was, um, I guess, doesn't sound too freaky or too mm. um, twinny, but that was sort of a moment where we reflect on that. It was a little bit unusual for that to happen.
0: Yeah. Four girls in your family. Did that strong female presence in your family, I guess you alluded to it before about your dad always getting you guys to do stuff on the farm no matter what, but did that strong female presence by having these all girls group of sisters really kind of shape your attitudes towards equality later on in life? Oh, look, I I think all all four
1: sisters, we have all had amazing opportunities um, created from our parents. So we're very fortunate to have had two very hardworking parents who um, probably instilled in us this attitude of you're you're no better or worse than anyone else and that sense of equality. You know, even talking a bit more about my dad, he had a job that involved um, sort of welcoming people from all different nations to our home And, and mum would put these wonderful dinners together and so we were exposed to people from all around the world and I think my mum, especially the opportunities we got um, as as little girls to um, experience little athletics, ballet, soccer. You know, she she didn't sort of pigeonhole us into girls only activities. Mm. She supported us to um, continue the things that we loved. Well, let's talk about cricket. How did it come into your life? Just sort of mucking around in the backyard um, with Kate. I remember playing. A game called French cricket I don't know if people yeah. still call it that but it's like you sort of just stand directly in front of a, a bin or a stump or something like that and you you have to defend it with a vertical bat um and I think the biggest influence in terms of cricket was my oldest friend Alex Valentine he's a great guy um still in my life and he um and K- Kate and and I and Alex we hung out a lot when we were little and We were probably about five or six when um, we first sort of followed him to go and play cricket on the weekends or soccer as well. So we didn't have brothers who played lots of sports. Um, Our sisters played sports, but um, I guess it was Alex's influence. Um, And and a person of my generation would either have most likely a brother or a father who Mm. sort of got them into a game like cricket but now it's a, it, it could easily be your mum that mm, <laughs> um, yeah. you know had a long cricket career that is the influence in in, in a child's life.
0: Mm. And there was a teacher at your primary school who also played a pivotal role in in kind of um, supporting your your cricket future in a way, didn't he? And encouraging you and Kate into cricket.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and I really enjoyed writing in, in my book about these male champions who. Mm. really provided opportunities for young girls especially out in the country that weren't there previously or hadn't you know we hadn't sort of had that experience of girls playing cricket in the region before Mm. so Mr Cook, um, Wayne (laughs) is his name, (laughs) I love calling him Mr Cook, you know you you, you keep calling him You never lose that do you when (laughs) you see
0: them as well it will always be Mr Cook.
1: (laughs) Mr Cook was the year six teacher at the at Griffith East Public School um, and he noticed that our group of girls in, in year six were very talented at sport and uh, he, he loves cricket um, and I guess he thought well we could get a cricket team out of these girls so he started a <laughs> team for the first time ever at the school and we went on and beat our boys cricket team Yay. and then we also uh, won That's the awesome. state Won the state (laughs) knockout so we were very good (laughs) and um, after that moment I actually never missed a cricket season again. I'd actually quit Mm. cricket the the season prior because I had had enough of the sledging uh, Mm. from the local boys and the parents Um, (laughs) so um, Mm. without Mr Cook who knows. Might have mm. continued with soccer a little bit more seriously because that was a, mm. a big part of um, both Kate and my life. So, um, yeah, we um, we have Mr Cook to thank for creating that team. And uh, after we won the state knockout, it was also a, 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 just a very small gesture that meant a lot. Um, Belinda Clark, the captain of the Australian cricket team, sent each member of that School girls' team a signed poster personally signed and um, I put that poster on my wall and as it turns out um, it was the first time I knew women played cricket at a high mm. level and I went on and then became a teammate of Blinda Clark and That's play under her as a um, uh, she was the Australian captain still and argue, arguably our most successful captain and mm. Um, yeah, it's a bit uncanny that that sort of, so I would have been about 11 or 12 when I received that that poster. And then at 21, when I had my 21st, Belinda was there because she was my teammate. And uh, I said, come and have a look at this. And I showed her that the poster was still <laughs> on my wall.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. That's awesome. And she That's thought awesome. that was pretty great. Because we're the same age, Um, you're a year younger than me, but um, to put it in context, and I grew up in the country as well, so to put it in, and was mad about sport, but to put it in context, I mean, there was no social media, there was no internet. We had two TV channels growing up, so ABC and and Prime, and it was before Prime was Prime, They just I mean, we hardly even saw any sport, let alone women's sport. We just didn't see any women's sport. I was big into softball and was crazy about Lisa Fernandez only because she's like America's greatest ever softballer. But to her, she was just a name on my bat, on my softball bat. That's all I'd never seen her, never heard of her or anything. So you have to put it in the context of that. So to receive something physical... From Belinda Clark, and then for you to go on and represent your country and become her teammate, it is so powerful, shows the power of a role model, isn't it? And especially for you and I growing up in the country?
1: yeah, definitely and And before receiving that poster, my role models were the ones that were on TV at the time, so in particular Stephen Mark war being a, <laughs> being twins as well, Kate and I. Gravitated to watching them, um, but I, I, I mean, I just I'm amazed now at how much mm.
0: uh,
1: you know how much women's sport is on telly. We still want more, mm. but mm-hmm. boys and girls will have uh, role models of different
0: genders, and mm. I think that's wonderful. It's isn't it? It's it's uh, it's so validating. It's so inspiring, and it's just so humbling, isn't it, to now see women's sports is compared to, you know, what we've had to fight for for a really long time. Um, But as you say, there's still a lot of work to be done. It's not ready to just kind of Cheers in the champagne glasses just yet, <laughs> um, and we'll talk about that. But um, Belinda, she, Belinda Clark also played another important role in furthering your career. We talk about being in the country and being a talented sports person, but you are limited in terms of your exposure to, say, selectors, um, as in, you know, the city city players every week they might be playing in front of a selector, but, you know, in the Riverina or in the Central West where I grew up, you're not exposed often to selectors. You can easily, even if you're talented, get lost in the system. Um, but Belinda Clark played a big role in making sure that you were put front and centre in front of them and identified yours and Kate's talent early.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As, as country kids, we often went to school holiday cricket camps. Um, Warren Smith ran a few in Wagga and they were very influential. A few girls attended but that didn't matter and then a camp in Orange at Kinross Walleroy School. We had a couple of guest coaches. Again, it was mostly boys attending, but there was a group of girls and Belinda Clark was there, as well as another Australian player, Avril Fay. And they both recognised that Kate and I as, I don't know, we must have been about 13 or 14, had a bit of talent. And Belinda said, you two need to get yourselves to Sydney. There's one more try out for the New South Wales Under-17s team, I think you should go. And we went and didn't get selected that year, but we were invited to come to all the selection trials the following year and and managed to make the team. So that was our first introduction to girls representative cricket. Mm. So, yeah, again, without that chance event of Belinda and Avril Mm. being at that camp. It might have been a few more years until we got on that pathway mm. and I think the depth of our girls' and boys' pathways now, reaching out into rural areas, talented kids have greater opportunity now to mm. sort of be identified mm. and, and and that's great. But um, we do want kids to p- be playing multiple sports though, I think, rather than
0: yeah.
1: channeling a little too early into into one or the other. And I, mm. I guess, you know, Elise Perry is a great example of that, someone who mm-hmm. played two sports, well, probably mm. more. She probably played like ten mm. <laughs> at a yep. high level. Um, but, yeah, Kate and I loved playing all sorts of sports out in the country and I think that helped us um, eventually in in our cricket, which was mm. the, the sport that won out in the end.
0: And Lisa Stalaker is another big name that comes up a lot in your book and she I didn't realise I knew you guys were friends and and close, but I didn't realise how far back that friendship went. It went back to when you were teenagers and you were at boarding school. Yeah, that's right. So um,
1: two country girls moving to the the big smoke. Uh, Kate and I went to boarding school in year 11 and 12, um, which was a great move because we were travelling to Sydney from Griffith multiple weekends Mm. of the year. And this allowed us to sort of focus on our schooling, but then also participate in whatever sporting opportunities were happening mm. in the city and yeah Lisa and her family were so generous in being almost like our family mm. away from home and signing us out of the boarding house over the weekend and we could you know go to the beach and obviously go play cricket on Sundays mm. uh, for Gordon uh, was the club that I played for when I first moved to Sydney and, um, yeah, we had five wonderful years there playing club cricket for Gordon and uh, beating Balmain, which is now Sydney and uh, <laughs> bankstown. it was it was amazing that the strength of Premier cricket back then, and um, mm. there's more teams now, but I, I feel like we still need to work mm. on the the strength and depth of the competition.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about? Uh, your Australian debut when you represented Australia for the first time. You're in, in at uni then, you're starting to be a doctor and then you get the call up to make your Australian debut under the woman on your poster on your wall. Yeah, that's,
1: that's right. Yeah. But I was uh, It was the end of my first year of uh, medical school at UNSW that I got the call out of the blue. I'd had a reasonable season for the New South Wales team I think it was my second season playing for New South Wales that I got called up into the Australian team. And Rena Hoare was the selector at the time, and she's been a wonderful mentor to me um, throughout my whole career. But getting this call, and, and Rena said, Oh, you've been selected for the Australian team. And, and, and I was just floored. I had no idea. That was completely out of the blue. And I had to ask, Oh, so where are they travelling? I I didn't even know what tour was about to happen and um, yeah as a 19 year old it was an incredible time to to debut and to not really have the pressure on you um, Mm. to go out there and just sort of display your skills and I was a part of an an incredibly strong team Belinda Clark, Karen Rolton Lisa Kiteley, legends of the game. Um, my friend Lisa Stolaker was there as well, which
0: um,
1: really did help sort of with that transition into the team. Mm. So yeah, it was it was an amazing time, and um, there were no T20 matches. So my first mm. match was a one day game, mm-hmm. and very soon after, I got to make my Test debut as well. Which, as you you would have read in the book, I did not anticipate that I would also be a part of the test team. When Rena called me (laughs) to say, you're in the Australian team, I should have said, does that mean I'm, do I need to pack my whites as well? Because there were some (laughs) test matches happening. I just assumed there's no way I'm going to be a part of the Australian test team. But as it turned out, I I was and I made my test debut very soon after my one-day debut. I Mm. played against England in an Ashes test match up at the Gabba. And um, I don't recall receiving my baggy green because back then, I'm pretty sure yeah. we just got it in a plastic bag in our kit bag. We, we didn't have the whole ceremony around cat yeah. presentations, which we do now. Um,
0: um, three years later, Kate wasn't selected for that debut for you at the same time. But then three years later, she made her Australian debut, and you're playing your first World Cup together. What did that mean for you both at the time to be able to be there representing Australia together?
1: Well, being twins and being so similar, we we were also competitors because we were sort of, I guess, up Mm. for a selection for a particular role within the team and was there actually room for the two of us. Mm. Um, It took a little while, um, just a couple of years, for there to be room for both of us and when Kate got picked, it it felt right you know because mm. i i was picked first but i never thought i was a better player than she was mm. um we had slightly different attributes she was we we always joked that she was more the mark war a bit more flamboyant and um <laughs> innovative <laughs> and i was the dogged steve war <laughs> with yeah, a little <laughs> sort of maybe a bit more reliable but a bit slower and a bit you know um, <sighs> a lot of grit um so when Kate pl- played for Australia um, in 2004, we both got picked to tour India, which was you wanted to tour India because it happened so infrequently and it was so different to touring, mm. for example, New Zealand, which I'd, I'd had the privilege to tour to before. But going to India in 2004, um, it's still, it still remains my most memorable tour for all sorts of reasons um, you know getting sick um, mm. being housed in pretty interesting accommodation and trying all the different types of food and um, yeah conditions conditions were pretty basic back then but um, you know in the amateur days yeah I think there was a lot of charm in what we did um, mm. and we uh, we definitely got to explore the world with our mates and and play good cricket And having Kate there on that tour started, it was the start of a four-year stint together in the Australian Mm. team. And, yeah, it was um, such a good time for the two of us.
0: Mm. You have been an incredible advocate for the LGBTQIA plus community throughout your whole career and and has really been at the forefront of helping to change attitudes in sport. But you noticed uh, pretty early on in your career that, there were disparaging attitudes towards gay cricketers and towards female cricketers from many in the sport. And you even asked it a function outright, how many gay cricketers in their team. There was this, this stereotype, this idea that um, of what the Australian women's cricket team or, or women playing cricket was like. But what did that do to you? What did that say to you? What did that mean to you and how did that shape your early attitudes?
1: Well, it's a huge topic, Sam, and, and I guess that's why I wrote a book about it. You know, it does mm. um, run through the book as a strong theme about a young person growing up in an environment that had subtle messages constantly that um, being gay wasn't as good. And, mm. you know, as it turns out, you know, I am a gay woman and, you mm. um, I've come to terms with that, even against the tide. You know, I like the person I am. I've got a great life, but um, you know, to grow up in Australia, to grow up in sport, uh, you know, sport is notoriously unwelcoming for LGBTQI people. Um, Mm. It's gotten a lot better, but I think it was really important for me to document what that was, Mm. what that was like, and um, you know, I think women in the past, and sometimes still though today, f- feel the need to sort of contort themselves to fit the mould of what mm. a, a woman is expected to be like. But according to who is the, <laughs> is the mm. question I, I sort of um, have come to realise, you know, mm. wh- who is it we're trying to please? And I think those, those women who were sort of more celebrated or, you know, the type of woman that we were encouraged to be, um, you know that it's unfair to put that on mm. any person. I think what we need to do is create in sport uh, environments where young people can be exactly who they mm. are, both men and women. And um, I think instead of looking at women's sport and and feeling like the fact that there are out role models, you know, in the past that would have been thought of as as a negative thing. Well, in mm. fact. It's actually something to celebrate because mm. those women are free to be all of themselves in that environment. Mm. And I'm not seeing that in the male environment. So, you know, where are our, between potentially 11 to 20% mm. of our population, our males who identify under that umbrella? Mm. Where are our gay males in sport? Um, mm. I've met the wonderful Ian Roberts who came out. <laughs> in rugby league in 1994 and we haven't Mm. had anyone else come out in rugby league um since that time so what's that saying to us are they there and hiding and in my opinion that's not great for performance or mental health Mm. Mm. or has has sport rejected them and therefore Mm. have we reduced the talent pool that our teams um can select from because we we really want everyone to be available for our our best teams. Mm. Um, so, yeah, look, it's a huge topic and obviously um, something that I've been very outspoken about mm. because I wasn't prepared to have anyone tell me I wasn't good enough. Mm. And maybe that comes down to my upbringing and the way Mum and Dad, you know, instilled in us that, yeah, you're no mm. better or worse than anyone else and, mm. um there were times in cricket where I felt that being gay was less desirable and um, my sport didn't want me to be like that. And I guess I've uh, pushed back on that (laughs) uh, because, you know, we shouldn't be trying to change the gayness of someone. We we should be trying to change the environment so those people can be safe and healthy and productive Mm. members of our teams. And I'm so pleased to say that We've come a, such a long way, and um, yeah, I've certainly been a part of agitating for some of that change, which hasn't been easy for the leaders, I guess, of our sport. Um,
0: and some of it will be hard to hard to read. I can't believe that someone at a function, when you're a young cricketer, would just so boldly say to you. So tell me, how many how many cricketers in the team are are gay? Like, how did you cope with that? As as a young person, and as someone you know who was gay and was working out their identity at the time,
1: well, I, I understood from those questions that there was something negative about being gay in their opinion, and mm. I think through society we got that we got that sort of vibe as well. You know, let's face it. Um, you know, de- the decriminalisation of um homosexuality only happened in 1997 in Tasmania mm. Mm. and then in 2017 um you know the uh, same sex marriage was was legalized as well so you know we've, it's very recent and um as it turns out I was the first female cricketer to speak openly about being gay and I'm certainly not the first gay cricketer but it's a bit sad that it took that long for um, someone to feel safe about, to be able to talk about it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so when when those sort of older men at these functions would be so intrigued about how many of the girls are gay, it's like as a young person I fell into the trap of trying to answer that question. Sure. um, I felt the need to almost underestimate and, uh, you know, I, I regret that because... At the end of the day, sexuality is fluid, and in fact, you don't know anyone else's sexuality. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and you know, my my, I, I think about well, what would be an appropriate answer in his mind? Zero. Mm. What if it was a hundred? Um, hundred mm. percent. Like you know, it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. No. Is the is the point? And um, I've come up with a better response now. I, I would say to that person now, I would say, well. I know for sure there's one and you're talking to her, but you know, why is this such an important topic for mm. you? Are, are you gay? You know, like <laughs> just sort of put it back yeah. on them. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's a very intrusive question and it has negative. Um, irrelevant too. Irrelevant yeah. to how well you can play sport and mm. um, a very unfair question for a young person who could, uh, could well be figuring themselves out as it turns out, that was me. And um, yeah, I recall those questions as being unhelpful and unfair because we're just out there playing sp- the sport we love. It's not actually the focus of what we mm. do
0: every day. It would be so frustrating that you're not talking about the form or the results or how great the team is or the, the fantastic bond that you girls have as a mm. as a group. It's just on something like that, like mm. your sexuality. It's incredibly frustrating. You alluded to it then and you talk about it in the book about almost as though having gay cricketers in the team was seen by the sport as having an image problem. Um, there was one incident you brought up in the book and I remember talking to you about this at a function once and being absolutely shocked that you went through this, but it's about a meeting that you had in, <laughs> with an official um, who talked to you wanted your advice on how to change this image problem of having gay cricketers in the team. It's talking to you and talking about the fact that, well, you need to change this image because will mothers feel comfortable having their daughters play this sport when this is the image? As a gay woman, I just can't imagine how hurtful that comment would have been and to be talking about your sexuality as a problem, but also, like I said, the wonderful, not focusing on the wonderful people in the team or results or the fact that women can play like a massive role in this sport, but then to hone in on that as a problem and also for that problem to stop mothers getting their daughters into the sport. What did that mean for you at the time?
1: Yeah, it was a a challenging conversation, as you can imagine, and um, the administrator was wanting to be inclusive, wanting to be able to celebrate gay people in the sport, but felt there was a a conflict in his also wanting to encourage mums to bring their daughters to play. And and those two things he saw as not something that can work together. Um, And so in in saying that, it it felt that he viewed someone like me as not a good role model for young girls and that was really hard to take and I guess something I didn't believe. Um, Mm. uh, So, you know, I I pushed back on that. Amazing leader,
0: fantastic values, (laughs) studying medicine at the time as well as playing cricket for Australia. I think you're an amazing role model for for young girls uh, and would be A fantastic reason for an encouragement for women and mothers to get their daughters into the sport. Um, I love in the book, the way you talk about your first meeting with Lindsay and um, the first few times that you talk about Lindsay, your, your beautiful wife, you're about to welcome your first child into this world very soon. It is described so beautifully and it has, gives everyone all the feels, the way that you talk about the first time you two held hands. I just love it. Um, It really was, seems as though it was love at first sight. But what role has Lindsay had in your life in finding that strength to be able to speak out about these issues?
1: Yeah, well, I just loved meeting someone who I clicked with and um, we had so much fun together um, and I was finally in a relationship. You know, it took a long time because I think I was suppressing my sexuality and I was keeping myself very busy with um, playing elite sport and being a medical student. So I allowed room for meeting someone at the age of 24. You know, it wasn't that young. Um, and I, I think just the strength of our relationship helped me go, wow, this is so great. You know, I'm really happy Um I want to tell people about this. And so, you know, I told my family, I told Kate first and, and then telling my teammates, you know, I was out straight away with my closest circles um, because I had no doubt I really loved this person and we were in a great relationship, so why not celebrate that? Um, but it took a while to take the next step, which was to not, censor myself in public um because Mm. it was this feeling that I knew my sport didn't really want me to be promoting this particular image um Mm. that it was a view that um, this was not helpful for business to have lots of gay women um playing and yeah so it took a while for me to um Understand that if if I was buying into that notion that I should hide part of myself, that that would mean that I believe also that there's something wrong with me, and and I mm. I didn't feel that at all. So, mm. isn't that wonderful though that you have that moment against something that's kind <laughs> of a bit awful, homophobia in sport, but it made me realise I actually like the person that I am. I love the person that I'm with, and. um I can see that out role models make a big difference because some had mm. made a difference to me and I realised, well, I can actually be my whole self in media um, at the, re- the Allen Border medal on the red carpet. Mm. I, I can do that
0: mm. because
1: I felt what a difference it had made to me when I saw other people doing that.
0: Mm. Um, you mentioned the Alan Border dinner and you mentioned it throughout that, you know, early on the girls weren't comfortable to bring their... Um, their partners and their girlfriends along with them and would bring their mom or their dad or a brother or something along those lines. When did that change? Mm. Um, actually, I, you know, it was sort of my
1: group, my, my sort of cohort of players who started to, I guess, be in the right place at the right time, um, feeling like we're sort of feeling sort of strong and safe enough to be able to, turn up to those events just exactly who we are and, and with the people that we love. And I decided that, you know, Lindsay was a big part of my success on the field. You know, supporting me off the field made a big difference. So she should be there to have a great night because mm. they're, let's face it, they're, they're fantastic evenings. Um, so, yeah, she, she came along for the first time and that was a big step. Mm. Um, but I... Regret the fact that I wasn't ready to, to to appear together in an interview on the red carpet, and I mm. write about that experience of you know how awful I felt after that. So I was like, no, that we're not doing that again. So next time we would stand together and 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 be interviewed. Um, and mm. the world didn't end. Um, in <laughs> fact, you know I think sometimes. I've underestimated people and how, um, you know, maybe I've made assumptions that I'm going to receive negative feedback from Mm. from doing this, but in fact that never really occurred Mm. and coming out for me has been a really great experience. Um, I've met wonderful advocates through speaking out and um, these days people don't really come out. Because it's not a big deal, (laughs) (laughs) and and, uh, you know, you just see them, you know, posting on social media that they're, they're, you know, they're out on a date with someone and Mm. happens to be the same gender. Mm. Um, Things have changed quickly, Sam, and Mm. but but and yeah, I guess I felt it important to document that incredible Mm. period of change, Um, and yeah I'm proud of the sort of agitating I did to to just start um people thinking about what what do these mm. words mean to to you know you just don't know what sort of impact you're gonna have um yeah say for example, Magda Zabansky. she didn't know the impact she would have when she came out on t v um on the project, and I really needed to hear those words that. Um, you know, if if I could take a tablet to make me not gay, I, I wouldn't take it. You know, these are the sorts of things that she would say through the screen that made me think there's nothing wrong with me. Mm. <laughs> and I needed to hear that after um, that day I'd actually experienced a homophobic comment at a cricket event. So it made a huge difference to me what she did.
0: One other thing I found, um, it gives you a sense of what Alex Blackwell was like and and who she is, was that in 2006, female cricketers were invited to the Alan Border Medal because it wasn't the Border Clark Medal back then, it was Alan Border Medal, uh, which was, of course, cricket's Night of Nights where the big awards are handed out. Um, and you're invited for the first time, the Australian women's cricket team. You were seated at the back, at a table at the back, by yourselves. You weren't happy that night and you wrote a letter to James Sutherland about it straight afterwards. Um, tell me why you weren't first happy about that first time that you guys were invited to the medal.
1: Yeah, well, the letter appears in in the, in the book and it was a strongly worded letter from a 22-year-old who'd just been in the Aussie team for a couple of years. But um, yeah, cricket's night of nights and here we are, invited for the first time and we're stuck down the back in a poorly lit corner and you know not able to bring partners and while we sort of were appreciative of getting an invite for me a lot of that night didn't feel right and I'm not someone who's as it turns out I'm not someone who's able to sort of walk past things that um, don't feel right so the letter to James um, was my opportunity to sort of yeah, express what what it felt like to be down there at the back. What what did it feel like to um, not have our legendary captain acknowledged? Belinda Clark retired that year. She led us to a World Cup win, mm. and none of that was was even mentioned. And I just was floored. I, I, I realized that would never happen to Ricky Ponting, who was the current mm. captain of, for the men's team. So yeah, just documenting what it felt like um, as a member of, you know, James's national team, um, you know, pointing out areas that we need to improve on so that we can feel, you know, celebrated and and we can can contribute even more on the field and our performances would be improved, I felt, if if, um, we were recognised appropriately. So...
0: Yeah, it was uh, pretty bolshy. <laughs> it was so bold. You'd only been in the team for three years. But like you mentioned, there was no mention of your World Cup win that year, Belinda Clark retiring. There there was a huge imbalance of female awards to male awards. Um, the only female award, I believe, was presented by Eddie Maguire, not, you know, another former cricketer or something illustrious on that stage. Um, but you were so young at the time. And back then there was this notion that... Uh, you know, female athletes had to be grateful for what's given to them. So you're invited to the awards. so far. You should be grateful for that. Yet you found your voice and were bold enough to go straight to the CEO at the time. Were you afraid of repercussions for your career? And what was the result? What was the reaction to your letter?
1: Um, Look, I I regret that I, I don't recall the exact sort of um, response, but um, I'm certain um, I did get a response, an acknowledgement of the letter, and yeah. Look, I, I think the, the change for the women's game that occurred under James's leadership is enormous, and and we' you know I'm, I am really impressed with where the game has gone under his leadership. So he's done some amazing things. But, yeah, I think I I probably didn't consider could this backfire against me? Isn't being an outspoken young woman uh, going to work in my favour or work against me? I I didn't sort of consider that. But, you know, I think um, women who do find their voice aren't always um, rewarded for that and, yeah, at times I felt like, because I challenge that it's easier to maybe to, to work with people who don't. But um, towards the end of my career, because, because I got after, after 10 years being in the game, I experienced a pretty crushing moment of homophobia and I, I really questioned what am I still doing here? You know, I've mm. given up a career being a medical doctor to play cricket, but my sport doesn't want me. I should just quit now. Mm. You know, I had that moment 10 years into my Australian career having led Australia to a World Cup. And so I felt free after that moment to well, I I could walk away from this if it sort of continues to to not feel welcoming for me. So in fact, that was freeing to speak even more boldly about some of these issues and mm. um yeah, I've definitely spoken about things that are not popular which is hard for people to hear. And, and I guess, you know, I'm someone who's all about trying to continually improve. And mm. I, I guess I expect my teams and my sporting environment to continually continually improve. And mm. that can be a bit hard for people to hear. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's so satisfying, though, to see the, the wonderful changes that have occurred. And um, our young mm. women are come in all shapes and sizes and all sorts of different backgrounds and they can be themselves, which is mm. um, a huge win from my point of view.
0: And I have to say, and and probably because of that letter as well, like Cricket Australia did, and with James, they did change the way they did things. I, I remember it being such a big deal when, you know, you had the Belinda Clark Award as that was the female equivalent to the Alan Border Medal and you were one of the first to do it. You changed the name from Alan Border Medal to the Border Clark Medal, like Border Clark dinner. Like it was it was such a big change at the at the time. And cricket led the way in being able to show that equality. You've had other sports like football. Uh, Football Australia have changed their the naming of their awards as well to represent both male and, and female. Um, and that was a big deal. I still think the Belinda Clark medal is the most beautiful medal in world sport. It is just, I remember the design of it when it first came out um, and also making sure that there were more awards. So, you know, but if that goes back to, you were the first one to point that out. And, you know, at least someone voices something and says, hang on, this isn't right, then, you know, people in powers to be are like, okay, we hadn't thought about it like that because it's just the way it's always been. But I really commend you for finding your voice at a very young age. Um, I just want to talk to you because you were vice captain for a very long time. Are you the longest serving vice captain in Australian cricket? Could be. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) You did, you know, there were opportunities and you did go on to captain Australia and the World Cup and Ashes victories, which is just fantastic. Um, you talk about your relationship with getting the captaincy, and you had opportunities early on, which you, you said you probably weren't ready for and you lost at, at that stage and you were glad. And then you had other disappointments later on in your career. Um, you also had your leadership not questioned and really supported by the Thunder when the WBBL first started and they made you their inaugural captain. What was that relationship like and and what did that support then at, from the Thunder mean to you?
1: Yeah, I, I was um, the perpetual vice-captain for Australia. Um, stepped up when asked and did a reasonable job. Uh, but I, I have um, felt throughout my career as, as a leader in that team that, um, you know, at various stages, my leadership could could have been um, valued a little bit more potentially, um, but you just you've just got to keep being yourself and, and willing to mm. um, take on feedback and, and things like that. so um, yeah, while there were some disappointing moments, um, the opportunity to captain New South Wales for a very long period of time, and um, we were very successful during that period, winning ten in a row. Um, Lisa Stilica was the captain for the first five, and I was the captain for the next five. So we <laughs> we did pretty well in the WNCL. But yeah, captaining the um, Sydney Thunder was an amazing experience. Um, you know, just the 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 uh, introduction of WBBL had a huge impact on my career. Mm. Um, extended my career extended, absolutely, yeah. and it also helped me. Find more in my batting, um, it, it really mm. pushed me to be a better player, uh, and then to lead a group of players under the banner of the Sydney Thunder, um, understanding who we were representing, all those things um, was something that I sort of tapped into, I guess as a leader, wanting my team to to understand you know what is it we're tra- trying to achieve here it was really about inspiring our Thunder Nation, our fans and engaging more and more different types of people into our sport. So it gave us that freedom to play um, a really positive and entertaining style of cricket. Um, and, yeah, part of the, the lessons I learned as a leader in, in the Thunder were um, we were going to rely on very young people who hadn't played a lot of cricket at the mm. highest level. So how do you get the best out of them? Mm. When sort of the whole world's watching and um, mm. feeling valued was a huge part of like what I wanted to bring to those young people, and and ensuring that they understood their contribution mattered, even even if it was to bowl one or two overs in my team. Um, so yeah, it was it was a wonderful time captaining at the Thunder, and you know, Mike Hussey was my contemporary in the men's team, and we won. Um, in the same year, which was amazing, and uh, yeah, I, I'm very grateful to well, there's that word again, isn't it? But um, yeah, to Cricket Australia <laughs> for taking the risk and putting WBBL on the map, and and um, it's been a huge success. So yeah, it's, it's wonderful we've got that competition.
0: And you and Hussey now have um, the awards named after yourself uh, yourselves, which is fantastic. Um, this is not raised in the book, but it's a question that after reading the book and, you know, especially your chapter about the ideal cricketer of, you know, talking about marketing certain types of of female cricketers for a really long time, um, and you, you, you didn't say this explicitly in the book, but I couldn't help but read and wondering, given all your success when you were called up to be captain and, you know, being that vice captain, giving... All your, you know, who you are, and the inroads you always made, and I mean, just your incredible illustrious career in cricket. Yet you weren't given the outright captaincy. Did do you think that the fact that you were gay and openly gay held you back from taking that outright captaincy role because it wasn't the look that cricket wanted back then for the game?
1: I'm I'm not I'm not sure. If um, being out and proud and, and outspoken um, held me back from the leadership point of view, um, I w- I'll never know that. But I did feel that um, it was working against me being completely myself um, in terms of the opportunity to be awarded a marketing contract because it through my discussions with the administrators of our sport i I understood they wanted mothers to bring their daughters, and part of that was about changing the image and and I wouldn't be useful for them in that in that regard. so um yeah, I felt like it definitely worked against me being my complete and whole self at work um, that would work against me. When we were in a time when there were just so few marketing contracts available, so yeah, one of the proudest things I, I well, one of the things I'm most proud of is being able to ad, advocate for all Australian female cricketers to be on a marketing contract because all of us mm. should be rewarded for the promotional work we do. Mm. Um, we, we, we we're not all equal, you know. There will be more popular players in the public's eye than others, and, and that's completely fine. But if we if we continue to sort of have a narrow view about who is marketable, who is mm. interesting to the public, a public that is changing so quickly, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, I think that's not fair to the wonderful players that are, um, you know, wonderfully diverse players that are in our national teams. And, yeah, I I do feel like there's some some of my teammates who probably deserved to have more of the limelight because they were outstanding on the field, but they didn't quite meet the the pin-up mould. And so Mm. they were sort of, you know, not heard, not really seen, but they were winning us World Cup finals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I was like, these are are our amazing cricketers who aren't getting the spotlight, but um, now they're all on marketing contracts. And we are seeing the diverse stories behind our, mm. our best players.
0: We are seeing that more, aren't we? Like a lot. We're celebrating our diverse players a little bit better. Um, every podcast we ask someone close to our guests to record um, a message and we're going touch with Kate and, um, and she's got this message for you. Hi, Alex. A
2: massive congrats on the release of your book, Fair Game. I'm not at all surprised at the interest in your story. Seven-time world champion, world cup and Ashes winning captain, most capped Australian female player ever, until recently being surpassed by the great Elise Perry, an advocate and spokesperson for marginalised groups and a talented genetic counsellor helping people at challenging times in their lives. You are an inspiration to many, including myself. Your ability to keep moving forward against the tide has been incredibly impressive. Your legacy speaks for itself and you should be extremely proud of everything that you have achieved in the world of sport and even more proud of the incredible person you are. I certainly am proud to be your twin sister. (laughs) <laughs>
1: she, she, was bit, she was a bit emotional and I think I'm tr- I'm just trying to play a straight bat <laughs> um, um well Kate's been an, an amazing um obviously a huge part of mm. why I've been able to be successful on and off the field but um yeah she's she, she, she's someone she said something to me that is like the best thing anyone's ever said to me and it was that I live to the beat of my own drum. And Mm. that's coming from your identical twin sister, that's a pretty (laughs) powerful thing to say. So, yeah, like I I certainly feel like I've um, led my own race or, you know, just Mm. become my own person and not afraid to um, take my place um, fully in, in especially the world of sport, which was trying to sort of sand down the edges. You know, mm. you know, being a woman in sport, you sort of feel the pressure to to meet a certain mould and, um, yeah, I've pushed back on that.
0: Yeah, you have. And you've done it with such every time you challenge someone, you don't get angry, you don't get upset, you just you stand your ground, you think you have a certain grace in being able to deliver a dagger reply (laughs) and a dagger blow (laughs) as well, which is like cuts, but you just do it with such grace. Um, And I just think, yeah, the way you've been able to change the game has been impressive. So well done. I still don't know how you do it sometimes without jumping up and down and Screaming, But, yeah, I think the your style and being able to challenge things um, has had a great impact. I half the time I don't think that they realise that their attitudes are changing by the way that you're doing it. So I think it's just well done. <laughs> well, I guess um,
1: I, I realise that, you know, my view is not the most important one necessarily, although you feel like that sometimes when you, you have your own views. But, um, yeah, I guess... It's sort of a bit of reverse mentoring, a, a younger woman who's able to, who I've, you know, I've got my own perspectives and my life experience and sort of generously sharing that with the people in charge of sport, which tend to be older, straight, cis white guys still. So um, I try to um, give people a bit of a, a, you know, give them some slack because they didn't have the role models necessarily that they needed to navigate the current world. Um, And so, yeah, it's sort of this uh, reverse role modelling that um, I I can help with. Um, And some of these champions, male champions of change in in sport um, are really open to that, which is really its very exciting to, to see that.
0: We finish off every podcast by asking our guests if they could go back to that little girl, that they were, that little Alex Blackwell who's growing up on the farm back in the Riverina, what message would you give her? Uh,
1: I think don't, don't forget to have a bit more fun along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a very hard worker and strong work ethic and um, I think when I reflect on my younger years at university and you know, I didn't really leave a lot of space to, to have fun, um, along the way, so I would say that. Um, and and just you know, to the beat of your own drum, like I've been able to do, follow your passions. Um, you know it would, it would have been easy for me to pick the safe route, maybe mm-hmm. go down that medical doctor path and put cricket aside when it wasn't professional, but mm. as it turns out, I um, had a stronger passion for playing sport mm-hmm. and and uh, I don't think you can go wrong following your passions and having, yeah, working hard, but having a little bit more fun along the way.
0: Well, you've been a great cricketer. You've been a great role model. You've been great for Australian sport and Australian cricket. Um, so thank you so much, Alex, for coming on, on Her Game and sharing your story. We Best of luck. You're about to give birth. <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this podcast. You're amazing. Yep. 38 and a half weeks um, pregnant. Um, and just just know that. That little baby is growing up in a better world Mm. because of the impact that you've and the role that you've played in Australian sports. So thank you. Thanks, Sam. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Nikki Sitch, executive producer, Jennifer Goggin,